everyone, Alana here, and it's been a lot of fun making this podcast. I get to talk about what I love, meet some really cool people doing it, and I have total creative freedom. Are you interested in making your own podcast? Go for it, and go for it with Anchor. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more platforms. There's even creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And best of all, it's free. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. everyone, and welcome to Girl Presses Play, the movie podcast where we talk about films, what we think about them, and what makes them so damn great. I'm your host, Alana Rafferty. Get comfy, grab some popcorn, and get ready, because we're about to press play. And now for our feature presentation. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Girl Presses Play. As usual, I hope you are doing well, staying safe, and watching lots of movies. Just a quick little FYI before we get started. Today is the last Tuesday of October, so we're in the last couple of days of our Patreon October donation drive. Since next week's episode will be about Black Panther, we wanted to honor the late Chadwick Boseman's life by doing a donation drive where anyone who joined Patreon in October up until midnight on October 31st. We will be donating one half of the proceeds to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which was a charity that Mr. Bozeman put his time and effort to, as well as Howard University, which was his alma mater, just to honor his life and his legacy. So you can click the link in the description below to join our Patreon and make a donation today. So today's episode, we are talking about dance films, and it's a very interesting medium for me because while I wasn't a dancer, I definitely wouldn't call myself a dancer, I did study dance a little bit in high school, and I would take classes here and there, and even in quarantine, I'll still take classes as well, but... It's interesting because I was thinking about how, as a filmmaker, I always watch dance films from the filmmaker perspective, but I've never watched it from a dancer's perspective. And I think I never tried to because I'm not exactly sure what to look for. I don't know what kind of life experience you're bringing to that. And I wanted to find out a lot more about that because I think sometimes dance films can kind of be like a chicken and the egg conundrum which came first, the dance that they put on film or the film that they decided to make about dance. And I think dance films can be kind of interesting because there's a lot of discussion about what dance on film should be. Is it more needed for documentation? Is it to make the next generation of great dancers interested? Is it to capture performances by great dancers like Mikhail Baryshnikov that you wouldn't see otherwise? So today, we're going to be bringing in my friend, actor, dancer, and physicist, Sidney Duncan, to really get into what makes a dance film a dance film, and also what makes a dance film a great dance film. 
We'll also be getting into a really great discussion about representation in dance and from that representation in dance on film. We'll be taking a look at some newer films and documentaries such as Pina by Wim Wenders and Dancer by Stephen Cantor. We're also going to be taking a look at some of the classics like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes. And of course, the end-all be-all of Young Dancer Films, 2000 Center Stage. You feel like a prisoner to your body. It was the urge to dance. I just want a normal life now. When I dance, I dance for them. They see the light that's there inside of you. Why do you want to dance? Why do you want to live? I don't know exactly why, but uh, I must. Our guest is a Dallas, Texas native. She trained with the Tuzer Ballet and Texas Ballet Theater School. She also attended the Booker T. Washington High School for their performing and visual arts, where she studied voice, saxophone, and dance. She also trained with the ABT, Ballet West, Lines Ballet, Alvin Ailey, Atlanta Ballet, Dallas Black Dance Theater, Hubbard Street, Arts Umbrella, and Oklahoma City Ballet. While at the University of Utah, she majored in ballet and physics while performing in and choreographing several productions with the Utah Ballet, as well as after graduating dancing professionally with Avant Chamber Ballet and Pioneer Theater Company, her physics research included astrophysics with a focus on the chemical abundance of globular clusters Her undergraduate thesis research was based on the physics of ballet, a look at how the two fields interact in perfect harmony with one another. Without further ado, let's welcome Sydney Duncan to the show. So, Sydney, how are you? How has your quarantine been, by the way? My quarantine has been interesting. I was in Dallas for a couple months with my family, my parents, and... Um, I was just trying to stay sane. <laughs> I yep. uh, was helping my mom with her work and just kind of helping around the mm-hmm. house and just trying to like read the news but not read the news. And then now the past mm-hmm. two months, now I'm in New York. <laughs> awesome. Um, I actually have never asked you this question, but I'm so curious. How did the daughter of two people in science come to want to become a dancer? And a scientist, yeah, I should say. Yeah, that's a great question. So my dad is an electrical engineer and my mom is an architect. So they're both in STEM, but they definitely you know, have that math and science brain. But they're both mm-hmm. artists at heart. My dad was in a band. He played bass. He's so cool. <laughs> he's way cooler Aww. than me. And cool dad. Yeah, he's a cool dad. And my mom, like, she sang and she did theater um, and loves to dance. So everyone in my family has that kind of right brain, left brain going. Even my grandparents, um, they everyone had something artistically or creatively that they do that's really inspiring. Um, so growing up, they were, they were both like, you know, do both. Like, my dad was always like, you should always do math and science, and you're really good at that, so you should, you know, see your interest in that. And then also, like, have that creative outlet like we all played instruments growing up me and my brother and it's just yeah like Mm -hmm. both sides everyone was like let's be creative it was great well it also sounds like along with let's be creative it sounds like there was a lot of equal amounts of respect for both the arts and sciences which i think is a rare and very beautiful thing 
Yes, yeah. It it at first it was always just have fun and it wasn't necessarily about like being good or anything, but like doesn't make you happy. I, like my parents always stress that, which I'm very thankful mm-hmm. for. Yeah. Mhm. So, uh, first of all, for all of our listeners, a quick PSA. If you are not following Sydney Duncan on TikTok and watching her videos, you are not living your best life. You need to watch them right now. They're so funny. I have laughed out loud to many of them. <laughs> I, yeah, it, it, okay. So when I, the first day of quarantine was my first TikTok. And I thought, oh, like, this will be a fun project to get some of my characters out and kind of just mm-hmm. creatively outlet. Like, I've always wanted to create a character reel because right. um, in ballets, I always played characters. I've played multiple animals, multiple, like, stepmothers and, like, evil characters. Like, I've played them all. And I was like, oh, you know, for, like, acting reels and stuff, people, I've been seeing comedians that do more acting. They have these character reels on YouTube. So I was like, oh, maybe I should do that. But I thought that was too scary because I feel like doing a character reel or doing comedy, you have to admit that you're funny and mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not at that confidence level. So TikTok was something that no one my age that I know had a TikTok and it was a way to like get these ideas out and post them. And, but like my friends don't need to know about it. People that are like, what this physicist, this dancer person now she's doing TikTok. Like, what is she doing with her life? Um, I just <laughs> didn't want, I, I, I know people don't care what other people do at the end of the day, but I am very, you know, insecure about that, about judgment and all that. So TikTok was a way to just have fun with it. So I was posting there daily for like a month and then someone found it. And was like, you should post them on Instagram. And I was like, no, I'm going to be so annoying. Um, and then they were like, no, 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 it'll be fun. Like, we're all in quarantine. Like, they're really funny. And then I got, uh, you know, great responses from friends. Like, oh, my God, keep posting, keep posting. Why aren't you posting? Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh. Like, I didn't know you guys thought they were anything. So then I kept posting them. Um, so, yeah, I'm Sydney Duncan on them on Instagram and TikTok. And then if you're like, I hate TikTok, I also post the videos on um, at Silly Sydney Duncan on Instagram, and those are just the videos. Okay, awesome. And we will put all of those Instagrams and handles in the description below. Uh, Yeah, it was so funny because we're, for context for our listeners, we're in acting class together, and I knew you as such a very ground, oh my god, I miss Anthony Vidal so much, um, but it was so interesting, because I knew you as such a grounded and really talented dramatic actor, because that's what I had mostly seen you do in class, maybe some dramedy, but I had mostly seen stuff that favors drama, and then just seeing you play, like, Harriet Tubman in heaven and the personal trainer that's like the world is a better place because you worked out today it's like this is a whole new world no they're amazing and you should definitely check them out but on to Sydney Duncan the dancer I would love to know as a like primarily film person what do you think makes a dance film a dance film rather than just a musical or a film that has a couple of fun dance numbers in it. Yeah, and the list that you sent over to me, I was thinking that just that, that same question because there's there are films that have dance in them, like Black Swan, 
the Jennifer Lawrence film Red Red Snapper. Oh Red yeah, Catcher. Red uh, Red Sparrow. Red Sparrow. Wow, I am off with. <laughs> but yeah, there, there are lots. <laughs> it was of, red. It was red something. Yeah, there are lots of films where dance is the the background, just like a kitchen or. Um, you know, a family home could be the background of the film, but I think a dance film is where the dancing and the choreography is the center of what the film is about. And your list, especially that you had, um, Center Stage, Ballet 422, Dancer, whether it was a documentary or Pina, uh, Pina, I believe is like the correct pronunciation. Mm -hmm. Um, all of them, it was about the dancing. So I was like, oh, I see what she's doing. So yeah, that would be my answer for that. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because even something like I loved, I did a little bit of dancing when I was in high school, but I would never consider myself a dancer. But one movie my sister and I loved watching is Center Stage. And I think even though it is very much... To me, the film is so much about just the experience of moving to New York and being an artist and you're surrounded by all your artist friends and it's just so scary but exciting at the same time. There is something very, it's very grounded in the dance world. Even just that first sequence of all of them butchering their ballet shoes so they could actually fit onto their feet. I thought it was very much about the dance experience as well as the artist experience. Like center stage, I do have to say, so I rewatched it last night just for you and I, when you're little, you're like, oh my God, center stage. Screenplay-wise, like the writing is so accurate to a dancer's experience compared to other dance films. I'm not saying that's like a day-to-day -day life. Like, mm -hmm. I want to say that there's never been a time where a student was dating someone in the company. And like, there's, like, I'm glad, this film could not have been made in the 20, in like 2020s because... Like, that she's a student, and being a student, ABA is basically School of American Ballet. They actually shot it, uh, the, the exterior places at Lincoln Center, this, this, the, the esteemed ballet mm -hmm. school at Lincoln Center, School of American Ballet, that's connected to New York City Ballet, even though they kind of had ABA, American Ballet Academy, attached to what really is American Ballet Theater, which is like, they're all at Lincoln Center, they're all amazing, whatever. But... Um, Having being a student at SAB means that you're 18 and younger, maybe 19, maybe. But the, you're saying that this principal dancer at ABT is dating a student. And yes, I've heard stories where that happens. I'm saying it can't be depicted in 2020 because that's not a good scenario for a student to be that age dating a principal dancer who's over the age of 18 mm. and also they simulate sex on stage <laughs> <laughs> that was my moment when i was a kid like oh my god they're kind of doing it but that's so i never thought of that because i rewatched it probably in like may or june when it was you know the 20th anniversary yeah. and it felt very early 2000s from like the clothes and the music but i never actually thought of that aspect how even though, in my opinion, it's not inappropriately handled for, I guess, mild spoilers. It's, like, very consensual, and they're both adults, and all and of like that. And, like, she could but... be 18, but mm -hmm. her just being depicted as this young student. Yeah, it's the dynamic. Yeah, or just, like, this young girl just having performative theatrical sex on stage with someone. Like, it. I mean... 
I'm not saying that that hasn't happened before. It's just so explicit <laughs> for a school uh-huh. show. It's a, it's a recital. It's a school show. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching that, I was just like, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? And then, um, but center stage, it's so great. I loved um, the cute little storylines because they're all very much so real. I think mm-hmm. the the misunderstanding of the, the black dancer, um, you know, even though I hate that they depicted her as like this um, angry black woman. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of backstory for, for her. It, yeah. yeah. Or justification or the why, but I mean, like, mm-hmm. that's just black mm-hmm. women in film in general, unfortunately, especially in the early 2000s. And, but I, and the reason why I said that is that I liked that she had a teacher who started to care because I think a lot of black dancers, they get in Zoe Zaldana's character, um, they get in that state to, let's say they do end up at School of American Ballet or ABT, JKO, or San Francisco Ballet, like these mm-hmm. big time schools, PNB, professional program. But once they get in, they're not nurtured, they aren't supported, and then nothing happens. And then all they see is someone being angry and misunderstood and uh, no one really cares. And then they just like, oh, well, you know, she's gonna, she's gonna get thick. She's gonna get blah, blah, blahs. You know, insert mm-hmm. negative body connotation here. And she never gets into the company. And then like, well, you should have worked hard. Well, you should have figured it out more. But especially from someone who's coming from an underrepresented area, they sometimes need more love. And yeah, she just, I cannot think of her character's name right now. Was it uh, Eva? Eva. Um, Eva, you're right. Yeah. I just watched I was just like, Oh, there's always Aldana character. <laughs> yeah, I always go like, even if I'm watching like a TV show, I'll be like, "Oh, so and so's character." Like, mm-hmm. "Oh, Reese in uh, in Morning Show." Oh, Little Reese did fu- yeah. so good versus like her character. But yeah, I just liked at the end how the teacher started to care and kind of like understand that she's misunderstood, maybe angry about her background or just like there's so many reasons why. But yeah, there now that I say like there are other things, especially like her attitude and her like unwillingness to like fit the mold that could have all been handled differently but I'm glad that the story was at least in there yeah and she does end up slight I shouldn't say slightly victorious but she does end up getting brought on to the company and she she does have her kind of hero's journey where she does find her way into this world that is very much made for like a specific kind of person. And I think the one shot where they did slightly allude to the fact that she has a very different background than the other principal characters is when they show, when they show Jody's character with her parents and they go out to like a nice dinner or something. And then they show Eva going to meet her friends at a bar. And yeah. yeah. And they all have like, I thought they were in the Bronx because they all have like, it Bronx looks like the Bronx. Yeah. But then she's from, yeah, but then she's from Boston. So I guess it was like, they were trying to do a Boston accent or they did. I don't know. That was definitely a lax. I mean, you could tell it was filmed in New York mm-hmm. and, uh, they probably did, you know, find some people like, Oh, just speak ethnic like they probably they didn't even think that like if you're gonna base the character in boston why do they have bronx accents but whatever but you're right like um and she got the scholarship and all of that and and that is very true like there are a lot of minority kids that and i think what they were trying to get at with her character is that you know uh 
economically challenged minority kids are coming from a world where they don't know that your hair needs to be pulled back. They don't know or have a black leotard. They don't know, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of times when you don't know, when you don't have, when you don't understand, you're just dismissed. You're just discounted. And I think her character's like, no, I'm not going to be discounted. I'm going to be here. I didn't know about my hair. And like, why does that matter? Like when you come from a world where uh, no one in your class has hair that pulls back in a bun or no one can afford a black leotard you come as you are or let's say like you only have one pair of pink tights or let's say you know she's black maybe she doesn't have pink tights or her teacher in a black neighborhood Latino maybe neighborhood um, why have pink tights for them mm-hmm. maybe she only had brown tights like there's a lot of reasons why her character could have been this kind of like attitude. I hate when they, you know, do the whole attitude. Mm-hmm. I hate when people call black people sassy um, because I think it was more so like if I was to rewrite her character, I would have given her that little background knowledge and then morphed her character to be a little bit more misunderstood than like. Even though I have a scholarship, I'm going to give you sass every day and every night. Yeah, like you're going to have to like sift through all my attitude rather than just like, hey, this is the reason why this is a thing. Yeah, it's interesting because when I was reviewing some of the films, like I watched The Red Shoes over the weekend. And granted, that was, you know, a 1940s code movie. But it does point out the fact that there's really not a lot of representation for people of color lgbtq people in dance um because even like the red shoes uh black swan is very kind of caucasian dominant um do you think that that's kind of like the next frontier for representation in film because pretty much everyone can name a dance film that they've seen whether it's dirty dancing or center stage or pina some people have seen because it feels like there's a very much an idea of what people think a dancer looks like. And then there's just this whole other lexicon of what a dancer can be and can look like and what world they can come from. And there's actually so many great dance documentaries. There are a lot of great dance historians that took the time to, not only in ballet, you know, we put ballet on this very, you know, in this day and age, like it's a very, we honor and cherish Eurocentric art ideals more than others Uh, like African dance Caribbean dance East Asian dance West Asian dance Southeast Asian like uh, just the entire you know continent of Asia like we don't care as much about those dance forms as we hold ballet and classical music to and I love ballet, but yes, you're right. There is not a lot of representation and the amount of work and hurdles and mountains um, that a dancer has to go through when they are a minority to get into a dance company. There are so many dancers, black ballet dancers in companies that don't go past the quarter ballet. And I mean, you can say that for a lot of dancers. There are a lot of dancers, especially taller dancers, that in a classical ballet company don't go past core because they're too tall and like you need a partner um, who is going to be able to partner you a lot of times quarter ballet and principal especially with uh, ABT all of their principal dancers are 5'2 to 5'4 maybe 5'5 five, 5'6 five, five, I actually just saw um, 
Maria Korowski, I might be pronouncing her name wrong. She's with New York City Ballet and she's like 5'9". And that's like unheard of. She's a principal dancer. I saw wow. her. I saw her on the street and I was just like, ah, I didn't want to bother her. I have a thing where I like don't want to bother them, but at the same time I want to tell her she's my inspiration. Mm -hmm. If you don't know who Maria Krauski is, like, like just Google her. Um, just Google tall New York City ballet principal and you'll just see how she just eats up space with her limbs. Like she's so incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, it was kind yeah, of long so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> tall dancers yay we are very pro tall dancers on this show um you know it's interesting because one and it's slightly different but i feel like it does kind of feed into the same thing that we're talking about in terms of how you make it in ballet and how you're set up to make it in the ballet world and how that's represented in film um because i remember seeing i used to live really close to lincoln center actually so i'd go see a lot of films at the lincoln center film center Lincoln film at Lincoln Center, that's what it's called. And they did a screening of the film Dancer about Sergei Polunin. And it was so interesting because he talks about how like his mom, dad, and grandmother, I think both of his grandmothers, had to go and travel to different countries and work multiple jobs simply so that they could afford to put him through all of the different training and buying all the shoes and doing all the things. And it was so interesting to see how much socioeconomics also plays into whether you can make it not just in the arts or as well as in the arts in general but especially in dance and ballet yeah it like the tuition at these top schools are college i mean not like harvard i'm not saying they're paying like thirty thousand a semester but you're paying anywhere from you know two to five thousand dollars a semester depending on where you go if they have room and board um a semester to get this education and a lot of times if you want to be in these huge big-time companies you gotta fit this bill and like they do have a lot of sponsors and donors and but where are those donors right now like I could be petty too like where are these donors now <laughs> that the arts aren't going like I used to work at Lincoln Center at the restaurant above the film at Lincoln Center Lincoln oh, yeah, yeah. and um, they come to the restaurant you know these donors they come and you know they they booze it up and oh parties and galas and we're donating money and i'm like where are those people now not that they might be they might be donating i'm just saying that i see a community that could really need some help and when it's i just feel from the public's perspective they might be donating i don't know i don't want to throw everybody under the bus but from the public's perspective i'm you really see people's true colors these billionaires that could easily help these donor, you know, situations out. And I don't know if they are or not, but from the public's perspective, I wish that these donors cared when the times are, you know, going rough, but. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's why I'm such a big proponent of film as not necessarily let me rephrase that. I'm such a huge proponent of film being a way to make people see outside of their perspective and especially about art forms that are a little bit more people see more of the end product rather than all the hard work that goes into it. And I think that's what's so eye opening about a lot of these dance films is you see 
all the people that work on it, the amount of hours they put in for a 10 minute dance and how much of their lives and their bodies they've put into it. Um, Actually, another film that I should have added to the list, but I highly recommend for anyone who hasn't seen it is the film Mao's Last Dancer. Oh, yes. I I thought about that, too. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's going to be on her list. (laughs) That's a great film. I completely forgot about it, but it's a great film and it really shows how you know, he almost, he wasn't able to go back to his home country for decades simply so that he could perform to his ability and perform in the company that he was already in. Um, So I think films are a great way to open people's eyes to what a world actually is and how it's inhabited and the help that it needs. Like you said, you know, oh, wait, when I see uh, Zoe Saldana's character in Center Stage, I realize how much of the odd woman out she need, she is. We need more representation in the dance world. Or actually, speaking of um, center stage, I want to talk about um, Zoe Zeldana's double, Aisha Ash. But before I get into that, I wanted to say something about Sergei's film, Dancer. You were talking about the people behind the, mm-hmm. the, the what makes the magic the magic. I hated the way he was treating his dresser. And when you're in a big time company, when you're a principal dancer, you have a dresser. They follow mm-hmm. you around, they have your water, they fix your bun, they do your makeup, they do all of that. Like they're literally their personal t- assistant and they're attached mm-hmm. to you. And at American Ballet Theater, for example, like once you become a principal, that becomes your dresser. And like you have this bond and this, and they go to every performance, every rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Well, not every rehearsal, but like if there's a dress rehearsal on stage or something like that, they have like, you know, needle and thread ready to go. They, yeah. they really yeah. are this huge support. And just to see him not care and just like, where's my water? That is like, oh, mm-hmm. but you could see how much he's hurting just through all these years. Yeah. He put all of his pain and agony from not being able to be with his family. His family was separated because they needed to go make money. Um, the economy in Ukraine, you know, after the end of the Soviet Union, you know, everyone was yeah, extremely absolutely. poor. And, and you just see his pain. And then after, like, the divorce of his parents, he just kind of was lost and was just like, why did I do all of this for? And you could you could just really, but you could see that he was putting all of that pain into his dancing. But, like, what is the cost of that? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting documentary. At first, like, I totally was like... Oh, it's just going to be about how great he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I knew he yeah, was it's turmoiled. That's a piece. Yeah, like I knew he was turmoiled. And and um, I remember in the dance community, like him stepping away from Royal Ballet. Like, what? He walked out of rehearsal. Like, there's this, like, uh, uh, obedience. This kind of, like, subversive... Uh, you not a you're not a slave to it, but you are very obedient to the rules of dance, to the rules of ballet etiquette, mm-hmm. and all of this. And to think that someone's going to defy that and stand up for what he needs and wants in his life personally as well, like everyone sacrifices a lot to get to where they are professionally, and to think that oh my god, he stepped away for personal reasons, like what? Because like especially these big time companies where you go away at age eight and you get your hips broken like he had. And that's a more of like a Russian thing where they go mm-hmm. at eight and they break your hips open and they stretch you out and all of that for years. There's a, a huge amount of sacrifice where you don't have a childhood and you sacrifice everything for this beautiful art form. And to think, Oh, you're going to step away from that is like unheard of. But 
I, I completely understand where he's coming from, and it's a really great mm -hmm. film, and he is an amazing dancer. His movement quality and just his jumps and his passion are everything. Okay, oh, so it's now back unbelievable. to... unbelievable. <laughs> it was, yeah. Like, his jumps, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah like, he's a, he's a principal dancer. Okay, cool. But then other times I was like, he levitated in the air. Like, he, mm. like, slowed down in the air and then sped it up. Like, that's stuff you don't see. But um, Aisha Ash, so Zoe Zaldana... Uh, is trained at Washington Ballet School. And then after, I think she was in her teens, she decided, oh, you know, I don't have good feet, I'm not going to make it. Mm -hmm. She decided to go into acting, which was a great, you know, idea for her. And now oh, yeah. look at her yeah, now, you know. Zoe Saldana. <laughs> yeah, now she's the amazing um, person. So her double had the same storyline. I used to ask, wow. she was, I believe, either the second or third black woman ever in the decades-long company of New York City Ballet. There was a girl in the 80s, there was a girl in the 90s, and Aisha Ash came in late mm -hmm. 90s and left by early 2000s and went to Europe. And, and she talked about this in this biography book of black dancers that I have. And she, mm -hmm. she was in the company for, I believe, nine years. And um, she went through School of American Ballet, which is like the ABA of Central State. And she got into the company. She was extremely talented. And, um, but she wasn't putting a lot of pieces. She was putting more contemporary pieces, which is a huge thing for black dancers. They're like, oh, we'll save you for the contemporary pieces because we right, don't think you're right. a, a white tutu dancer. Mm -hmm. And when someone came to set Swan Lake, they told her, and she talked about this in the biography, that she was like, I want everyone to be lily white. I want everyone to powder themselves down. I don't want to see any color on stage. You must, like, because, like, in Swan Lake, the dancers, no matter what color you are, you have to powder yourself. To, or you have to look like a swan. You have to look like a swan. And the lighting, the way that they do the lighting and the powder, it really makes everyone look more uniformed and everyone even more swan-like. And... Aisha Ash is the only black woman in the company at this point. And she's like, what do I do? Do I have to powder myself to become swan-like? Now, historically speaking, it's so full circle with Center Stage, is that now she's the first black female faculty member at, full-time faculty member at School of American Ballet. That is very full circle. She, wow. Just... Yeah, like it's 2020. And we finally have our first black female teacher at the most esteemed school in America. And it's just so sad because there's been, you know, black girls that have gone through the School of American Ballet, but they never make it to the company. They're never nurtured. They end up going to other companies. They end up doing other things. And, and it's just so sad that it's taken us this long to get someone who looks like us, who can help us in our bodies you know, fix our technique and do things to get us to where we're trying to go. And in the red shoes, I hadn't seen that when I heard about it. And I knew that there's a ballet inspired about the movie, but I hadn't seen the movie. And um, I love that Amazon Prime has older movies that you can rent. So I watched it and that's also a very, you know, antiquated storyline of like what mm. ballet Talk about obedience. Is. There is when you were talking about the obedience that's just assumed in the ballet world and she's like not allowed mild spoiler for the red shoes. She's not allowed to marry the composer simply because she wouldn't be like married to her art. I'm like 
and she can't do both at the same time because, and maybe because I'm not in the dance world, it just blows my mind. And, like, he but... was at the Covenant Garden, and she was, like, in the next state over. Like, that's an hour train ride. Like, you're fine, you know. <laughs> there was some stuff. I'm like, this is just a big misunderstanding. This is just a bunch of dudes not, like getting them over themselves and just going, you can do both things at the same time. It's okay, Victoria Page. Yeah, like, you know, I say that it's an antiquated storyline, but it's funny because it's, like, not far off from, like, what sometimes happens in, in ballet companies. And what I mean by that is, like, there is drama like that where the dancer is dating, you know, the artistic director or, like, one of the ballet masters and and you have this this kind of like a long I mean not too long ago like artistic directors and school directors and people were telling girls young like prepubescent like you are married to your art there can't be any distractions they didn't say any of this to men maybe they did I wasn't in those classes Mm -hmm. but for women there is definitely this sense of you need to keep your innocence you need to keep this uh childlike dedication to this one thing and that means like the idea of a boyfriend was you're not committed enough like even in my day and age like I had the idea like no one explicitly told me but growing up if you had a boyfriend you were seen negatively in the eyes of your school that you're not committed that you're not that you're gonna you're gonna get on birth control and you're gonna no longer be this peasant body that they want so badly with the small hips and no breasts and um, long lines and all this and it's like the the you being your own woman and you making your own choices and especially women who are more assertive in being like no I'm going to do this no I'm going to go and have this boyfriend I'm going to do what's best for my body and get on birth control or contraception or I'm going to have a child all of that was unheard of for a ballet dancer. It was just like, no, like you need to. And a lot of times like people are like, oh, I'll do that once I become a principal. Like once you have power and that status, then you can go and have a kid. Then you can go and have a life and get married and all that. But like if you're a quarter ballet member and you get married, you're out. And now things have changed and people are making things mm-hmm. work in this modern age. But it we're talking 2020. But I'm saying these are storylines from the 2000s. Like, Well, I even remember in Center Stage, Maureen, her character is not even a full-on boyfriend. She just starts seeing this young man, and her mom basically gives her that same spiel of, hey, you can't do this because you have to devote yourself in going to pizza and a movie somehow with this nice guy is going to deter from all of that. So you're right. Like that's not so archaic to talk about. But also like, let's talk about how like most of our moms would be just so happy if we brought home a Columbia pre-med boyfriend. <laughs> who's they hot. would pop open the wine yeah, and want to like, know every detail. Yeah. He's like tall and hot and like cares about her feelings and like wants her to eat pizza. Like, perfect boyfriend (laughs) (laughs) and there's this great line like there's so many cheesy great lines in the movie like she she's like full-on eating disorder which is like so prevalent unfortunately in dance and um he like catches her and she's like (laughs) um 
she said something about like everybody knows me because I'm the best student at American Ballet Academy and you're a nobody. And I'm just like, oh yeah. And you're like, you're telling that to a Columbia pre-med doctor? Doctor? But also just like, you're still a student, boo. Like no one knows you either. Like, okay, there are some pretty, <laughs> there's some famous young kids now because of competitions and social media. Mm-hmm. But like most students are pretty humbled of like, no, I'm nobody. I'm literally a nobody. Um, but yeah, there there are just some great lines in the movie, and what's so cute is that Ethan, like the main dancer, uh, Stiefel, his wife was in the movie, Jillian Murphy, who is one of my favorite dancers with ABT, and Sasha Rudeski. His wife is also in there, Stella Arboria, who is an amazing dancer, who was also the first Filipino dancer to ever. She became a principal dancer with. ABT when Misty did and they both oh, made wow. they kind of broke this color barrier um, in their own regards and Stella and Sasha are um, first name basis I'm not on a first name basis with these people I just don't <laughs> want to butcher their last names but they were also in the movie together there's a scene where like he's like flirting with her and then he like turns and like looks the other way and I just thought that was so cute for because for dance people were like oh but for outside people it's like she's just another person in the crowd mm-hmm. it's funny because I during the credits I was watching like the dancers that are in the background are all famous principal dancers now and it's like 20 years ago they were just like these like cute little you know um, extras in the back and like Jonathan Stafford who's now I believe the associate artistic director of New York City Ballet was like in the background Uh, Janie Taylor who's who used to be a principal with New York City Ballet who's now with LA Dance Project, she is like the girl who like gets off the bus with her little bun head. And I'm like, this is so cool to like go back and- What a little relic of before they were ballet stars. Yeah, and then Amanda, the Amanda Scholl, I believe is her name. Amanda Scholl, yeah, Amanda Scholl. Yeah, woohoo, I got it right. She was in Suits. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And for my TV people, I love Suits. I love, I love, love, love Megan Markle. PSA, watch Suits. We all have the time to do it now. Yeah, in full moment. So Amanda Scholl, she was like on the couple last seasons. But even before that, the showrunner for Suits loves the ballet. And he made Louis Litt's character, another guy in the show. He loves the ballet and he would always go to the American Ballet Theater with tickets. And then once Amanda Scholl was on the show, her uh, character is very uptight and like all she cares about is work. And she gets in trouble and does something wrong and her life comes crumbling down. And they like forgive her for it and she's fine and dandy and blah, blah, blah. And then he, she goes to Lewis's Litt's character and she goes, you know, I think I'm gonna dedicate more to my, my life outside of work. I think I'm gonna take up a ballet class. <laughs> And it's just such an ode to, like, everyone who knows. Wink, wink. Yeah, it was such a wink, wink. Um, And the line was so cheesy. But I felt like the showrunner just had to put it in. Like, we have to say something about her being, Mm -hmm. um, you know, this. This This is a question that I'm dying to ask because I feel like it's, I don't want to say it's controversial, but I feel like one could have a very different answers about it. So for a dance film, which do you think is more important? Capturing the dance itself in a very Pina style film or something more like Center Stage or The Red Shoes where it's about the experience of being a dancer? 
I first want to say that the cinematography, just how they shot the red shoes is amazing. There's something oh, about beautiful. Yeah. just like how they shot dance films in that age, like singing in the rain, like these grand scale mm-hmm. sound stages are just beautiful. They don't do that anymore. And that's what I thought La La Land was going to be, but then I was just kind of underwhelmed. But I get it, like you're trying to bring dance to the 21st century, but that's what Red Shoes did so well, is like the, the, the filming of it. But I think the most important out of the two is shows like Pina and documentaries to really show you, and Ballet 422, which used to be on Netflix, yeah. but it isn't anymore. I love seeing, and I love that people get to see the real way that dance is created the creative process everyone is exerting themselves to the top level of their um artistic and physical beings pina is such a beautiful beautiful person i actually have uh i knew a girl in high school stephanie troyak who used to be i don't know if she's there anymore but she used to be in pina bausch's company in germany taz theater um, which is Toss Theater is Dance Theater Germany. Mm-hmm. And um, Pina and modern dance in Europe. And like modern dance in Europe or just dance in general in Europe is like 30 years ahead of anything we see contemporary wise in, in America. We're always like secondhand contemporary. It's very, very contemporary. But uh, uh, places like Netherlands Dance Theater, NDT, um, Pina's company, Ohad, Bacheva, they are showing people the real nuance of being a human being without words. And that's so powerful. So, like, Pina, like, she has a lot of times, like, the dancers in dresses and they're having full meltdowns and they're crying on stage and they're laughing on stage and they're being physical with their partner. Or in or in, in public spaces where she has like a dance film setting, and she, she I love that how modern dance is depicting the imperfections of being a human, and kind of just showing what's going on and pe- what's really going on in people's brains. Because I think sometimes in ballet, it's all about perfection and this like the beauty of symmetry and line, and this classic look of like look how pretty things can be, which is great. Escapism is beautiful. But there's something so real and honest about let's not escape, let's analyze. And I feel like modern dance uh, in the past 40 years in Europe is really diving deep. Uh, Nacho Duarte, like all these companies in Europe um, are really looking into what is it to be human. And honestly, watching pieces like that is therapy in itself. (laughs) Like, please, after the show, still go to therapy and like talk about why you cried. (laughs) Um, but just pieces like that. And actually, there is a, um African company that I cannot think of the name of that recently did uh, the Ride of Spring on a Beach. Um, they were going to... Pina Bausch and a couple of companies in Europe and Africa were going to all get together and tour internationally to that piece. And they were going to... Um, they were going to do it, and then Corona hit... So they, they filmed it, and it's online, Sadler's Well, S-A-D-L-E-R, I'm so bad at spelling, apostrophe S, Wells, like Wells Fargo, and um, they, they do it on the beach with these selective dancers, um, and it's so beautiful. Ride of Spring is an amazing piece. No, that's so fascinating because it made me think of 
a film that has dance, I should say, but the filmed version of Hamilton, this one review I watched, talked about the idea of how documentation is really, really important for arts that take place in a live space. So things like musicals or dance. Like I remember when I was in high school, I forget if it was sophomore year or freshman year, but my dance teacher showed me a taped version of Alvin Ailey's, I forget the name of the dance, but everyone's wearing white and they're dancing to Rock My Soul in the Bosom of Abraham. But I remember watching that for the first time going, oh, wait, that can be dance too? Yeah. So even just, you know, having, whether it is a film story like Center Stage or The Red Shoes or more just documentation like Pina, um, just showing people what is possible and showing that it has been done, I think is so important. So like the history of the Rite of Spring, it came out at the beginning of the 20th century. And um, when the piece first happened, it's like, it's kind of like the start of modern dance and audiences were used to story ballets, pink tutus, white, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, uh, Strakovsky, excuse me, Stravinsky, he was the composer for A Rite of Spring and the theater that it was performed in, it started a riot. Like people left the theater and started a riot at how angry they were at what they just saw. And it like started this just like whole discussion on like, what are you doing on stage? And this isn't okay. And it was like this whole thing. Like it was, it was a big start to modern dance. And uh, and now they they have different versions of the piece of work that other people do. And it's just all just very interesting dance history of like, wait, this piece started a riot, like an actual riot. Like you're kidding. Like oh, they just got angry and left. Like no, like they like they were very much so angry. <laughs> Um, and it's, uh, it, it's just all very interesting how just people were so incredibly angry and stormed out. But then, like, I'm reading as I'm saying this, like, ten years later, they're like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> it's just interesting what we, what our ears and eyes, like, get used to or appreciate. So, and we need, we need people to push that envelope of art. Because if we keep doing the same thing, like audiences not only get bored, but we need to keep pushing on like what we need to explore. Because art is, for me, is all about exploring a human experience. And if we, if we stop exploring, just like in science, if we stop exploring, what is the purpose of life? Like, I believe the purpose of life for scientists and artists is to explore this meaning of my existence, our existence, and within that existence, what do I love? And what do I love to express my love of it or my hatred of it <laughs> most times? How do I express this? How do I express how I feel? How do I express that like I'm on this planet, I'm a little dot and I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm happy. Like scientists, I feel express that existence with like, let me research something that I'm really passionate about. And then an artist just goes, okay, well let me, let me express what I'm passionate about. Because like for me, that's what life is about. And like that's how I see just that, that curiosity is what really moves me and other people. I know that's like sappy, but that's for me, that's what it's about. It's not sappy. And it actually brings me to my final question. <laughs> Great segue, Sydney. Uh, so with your experience not just as an actor, but as a dancer and also with your background in physics. 
do you feel like you watch dance movies differently now? So, for example, when you watch a Sergei Polunin jump or when you watch the center stage when she's just turning and turning and turning at the end of the um, song during the student project, do you feel like you kind of have to separate how you watch that movie as a dancer and how you watch it as a student and practitioner of physics or do they kind of seamlessly blend together when you're watching it? Yeah, there's a famous physicist. um, He was saying, like, they always bring him on to famous TV shows where he... It's it's Neil Neil deGrasse Tyson. There you go. I, I said it. Anyway, so he talks about how, like, once you know like enough physics it ruins every movie for you because you're like that's not real that's not real that's not real and he knows way like decades more of like phd level physics than i do um so like yes some movies are like outrageous i'm like okay but i love comedy so i don't mind when a when a when a like physics wise science wise where um a movie goes kind of crazy with all of that like i'm like oh this is funny because i know it's like not real but you can never take off like 20 years of, of, of ballet training um, mm-hmm. out of your eyes. So I like, for instance, like Black Swan, I know exactly when Sarah Lane's her dance double who did not get the credit she deserved, um, who's a principal dancer at ABT, she was Natalie Portman's stunt double. I knew exactly when Natalie was dancing, when Sarah was dancing. One, because when you're, when you're a famous dancer, everyone knows the feet everyone knows exactly what your legs and feet look like like i know it's weird like wait you know what this woman's feet is like if misty copeland like if you just saw her feet Mm -hmm. i would know and a lot of dancers would know those are her feet if julie kent if you just saw her legs you would know that's julie kent or julia murphy blah blah blah. because we watch these people for hours do their technique just like um i bet the people could say the same thing for like lebron james free throw shots (laughs) Yeah, or when you think of it, um, like guitar players, you could hear the difference between Jimmy Page and you could hear the difference between Stevie Ray Vaughan without actually physically seeing them. Seeing them. That's a great analogy um, because I love watching basketball, but I don't know like terms and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's right. Like you can hear someone sing and know that's her. Same for a dancer. Like we can watch just their legs or maybe just their upper body, not even their faces. And I know it's Svetlana Zakharova or something like that. Um, so yeah, so dance films, like I hate when they use non-dancers for the big stunts, like just go ahead and get a stunt double because it just doesn't look right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, not that these actors, like they go into training for months and blah, 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 but it's like, you're trying to do bus with someone who's been training 20 to 30 years in their craft to someone training two months. Now those two months or Natalie Portman did it for a whole year amazing get your oscar we love you we love natalie portman blah 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 but like let the dancers dance um because they're also really great actors as well Mm -hmm. and um oh there's another movie that's really great that has like all dancers actually it's called dancers uh mikhail barishnikov with my favorite my mom met mikhail barishnikov when she was working at pbs and said he was like the nicest guy ever i heard he's like an angel on earth he's an amazing 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 dancer but it's him alessandra Ferri, and Mm -hmm. a young julie kent and they made it in the 80s and it's called dancers and like the acting is like not great but alessandra Ferri is my favorite dancer and she is so ethereal. Like when she's on stage, she is literally weightless and just 
floats like how she commands her body and just completely releases it and Alonzo King he had a great quote where he was saying um, a dancer and their journey of becoming a professional or just going through the years you're trying 20 years plus to become a baby again to where you can go on stage and fall and know that you're going to be caught by the ground I think we need more dance documentaries to show people the real undramatized version of ballet and in dance. I also need to see more minority films of dance. Oh, so two really great ballet documentaries about black women in ballet. Misty Copeland's documentary, which I believe is on Netflix, but a lot of dance documentaries are off on Netflix. It's called A Ballerina's Tale, which is Misty Copeland's journey, and it's amazing. She's gone through so much. Like, the 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 popular audience, popular culture audience knows her, like, 2014 and beyond. But, like, the ballet people, we know her when she started at ABT back in 2000. And she's worked her ass off to get to where she is. And then Black Ballerina, which is another documentary that talks about all the people who came before her. And it kind of ends with Misty becoming this principal dancer at the end. And a lot of girls have come before her and like their stories are heartbreaking. But I'm so glad I saw that documentary because it made me feel seen and it made me feel like, I was like, if they can make it, I can make it. And you know, like it mattered. And it's up to us and especially artistic directors, people at the top of these companies and these directors who are, fil who are filming these projects, executive producers who are paying for these projects to be made to see that importance of like there are a billion not a billion but like there are a lot of ballet documentaries but how many documentaries about other forms of dance are there how many films about these things are out there and like just opening our eyes to like this matters just as much and like putting those ideals the same because that's equality that's in inclusivity that's diversity and that's what everyone once, but we're not able to like. I, it's, I, 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 I talk in circles. So please no, <laughs> I, I think that's like a beautiful note to end on. Just you know how not only how much has been done or could have been done, but just how much farther we have to go. Just a general in the arts, because it's not just a film thing. It's not just a dance thing. There has been maybe little bits of progress, but we do have a very long road ahead of us. And hopefully someone out there listening to this episode will be inspired to either create that or fund that or put some sort of support behind that. And the difference between America and Europe and Asia sometimes is that all of these art programs are state funded. Those dancers are taken care of. Uh, most of them are state ballets. So when a state ballet, that means that like their their uh, income and all of that and is like either a government employee because the governments in these cities yes. um, say that the arts matter. So when that happens, they they have funding set aside for these companies to have shows for the public because they saw that there should be this for the public, that it boosts morale and it, it's good for people mm -hmm. to go and see the arts. And America has this kind of like more capitalist system of like, 
money, 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 you know, like, like we can't support the arts, it's too mm-hmm. much money. I wish we lived in a country where, like, we cared more, because I really feel arts could save even more lives. I really feel that if more young minority kids, um, like the Ava Rodriguez's, that was her name, that was always old on his character's name, um, <laughs> got to see art, it could really change their life and, and, and give them meaning and, and really give them a purpose of like, oh my God, I matter, I was seen, I was heard, and now I wanna go and do this, and now I wanna be a creative, <clears throat> or maybe I wanna be a patron, and then that money like gets back into the system for other artists, so yeah, like I, uh, I can't wait for 2021. I just hope that the arts can be in there. And we're going to make bleeping sure of it. I, yes, I just said bleeping because it's that important. Sydney, thank you so, 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 so much. I have loved our conversation and I can't wait for as many people as possible to hear about this. Yeah, peeps, listen to this. You're amazing. Thank you for having me on this podcast. Thank you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our show. I want to thank Sydney so, so much for coming on. That discussion, not only about dance on film, but representation within the dance world and how that manifests in film, I think was so enlightening and important. And if you want to hear more of her thoughts about why representation and dance matters, there was even more of our discussion that I wish I could have included, but is going to be our exclusive Patreon episode for October. So if you want to hear more about Sydney's thoughts about why representation and dance matters, you can click the link below and become a Patreon member today. Thanks again for listening. See you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back every Tuesday for new episodes and be sure to check us out on our Patreon page where you can support the show and get some really cool exclusive stuff for doing it. A very special thanks to our Patreon supporters, John F., Fariolo Fencing, LLC, and Helen Rafferty. For news on upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Girl Presses Play. The show is written, produced, and hosted by Alana Rafferty. Intro music is composed by Asha Iwanowitz, and our logo design is by Mark Sauve. Thanks again. See you next time. Girl, press play.